Welcome to People Plus Culture, the vodcast where we join people and culture alchemist Mildred Black for meaningful conversations for today's workplace. Welcome to the People Plus Culture vodcast, conversations for today's workplace. My name is Mildred Black, and I help human resources and employee relations professionals improve workplace culture by improving the quality of human interactions. The 2022 theme for Black History Month is Black Health and Wellness. So our focus will be on health and wellness in the workplace through the lens of Black history. Today's guest is Dr. Pamela Foster, who will focus on preventative health and wellness, and she will show us how we can better advocate for our own health. Let's get into it. Good morning <laughs> to you, Dr. Pamela Foster. It's so good to see you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on today, Mildred Black. Most definitely. It is so exciting to talk to you. So 2022 Black History Month theme is Black Health and Wellness. And as you know, I am a people and culture expert focused on workplace culture and wellness in the workplace. And so what I'd like to talk with you about is I am excited to talk to you today about uh, wellness and preventative health. So why don't we start with you telling us about yourself? So I am a, a preventive medicine public health physician. So in the area, most people have no idea what that is. I'm a person, a physician that uh, focuses not just on the individual patient, but on the community as a whole. So it's what we call population health. Um, Most of us are trained as health officers, but I actually work in academia. So I help train medical students, residents um, in medicine and also do research. Dr. Pam, what book are you currently reading? That is so interesting. You ask. I'm reading a book called um, Gullah Days, Mm. Um, the history of Hilton Head Island before the bridge came. So from the 1850s to 1860s, I think, to 1950s. That is fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm of of Gullah um, descent, actually. My uh, grandparents and great grandparents uh, grew up on St. Helena Island which is off the coast of the Carolina, South Carolina. Yes. Near Savannah. So that heritage is so interesting to me. Um, many of you know Gullah Geechee. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those slaves that were on those islands were pretty independent because uh, the whites couldn't survive the heat uh-huh. and swampy, swampy uh, sort of uh, uh, humidity. They died of yellow fever. So very independent um, slaves uh, on that um, on those coasts of the Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, and so I, you know, it, it really reminds me of my independent streak because that's my heritage on my mother mother side. That is family. fascinating. Thank you yes. so much for sharing that. Tell us, how did you arrive at the line of work that you are in now? What was your journey like? Um, it's interesting. I started out um, thinking I was going to get a PhD in biomedical sciences, uh, Mildred, and uh, actually flunked one of my uh, PhD tests, comprehensive tests, my uh, oral exams. And I was working in the area of sickle cell research with, with uh, animals. And my boss said, you should think about going to med school uh, because then you could do research with humans. Um, having an, uh, a clinical degree like an MD along with the PhD. So I, I, tr- I switched over 
after several years, I switched over and, and applied to med school, got in and thought I was going to do research, but kind of veered a little bit into public health, got some experience around public health. But it's funny, I'm back in research now, you know, in my academic position. Mm. I thought I was going to do public health practice, um, but then an opportunity came up. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and an opportunity um, came up at Morehouse School of Medicine. In this new area of research where academic um, folks were partnering with communities to solve, really to solve health problems. Mm. New area of research called community-based participatory research. So that's what I did. And uh, so that's where I am now. That's That pretty much informs who I am as a research and a teacher, um, uh, social justice, health disparities, really uh, around uh, communities of color, Black and Latinx uh, communities. Um, and uh, and my, so my research area is around HIV stigma mm-hmm. and faith-based communities. Wow, this is exciting work that you're doing. And I'm going to say, I, I have a personal health story. And so right. health and wellness is, is, is personal for me because uh, in 2015, I was diagnosed with a serious health condition, multiple sclerosis. And wow. I learned and I found that the body is an amazing instrument. It's an amazing creation. And it does have the power to heal um, yes. if, we, if we put good things in and we take really good care of our bodies, then right. our bodies take care of us. And what right. I really really want to promote through our conversation and is is an inspiration for whoever's listening to know that no matter what condition you find yourself in, there is healing available. Yes. There's healing yes. available for you. And so when you hear the, the theme for Black History Month, Black Health and Wellness, what does it mean to you today? Well, one of the big things, I think, uh, probably in your journey with working with the system, uh, being sick, Mildred and working with the system is you really do have to advocate mm-hmm. for yourself. Hopefully you did that. You yes. read up on multiple sclerosis. You probably read up on some of the latest interventions, treatments. You might've even thought maybe I could get in a clinical trial to mm-hmm. really help my um, diagnosis and help with the treatment. Those are things I'd really want to advocate because as black people, we haven't done that as much. Really, I mean, being in clinical trials, the idea of being in a clinical trial is um, uh, offensive to many because of our history, the history of, of, uh, of um, um, mistrust with the health system because of how we've been treated. Of course. We're right here in Alabama, and many of us know the history of the Tuskegee, Tuskegee. Syphilis Experiment. No doubt. We've renamed okay. that the U.S. Public Health Service uh, Syphilis Experiment because it was the government that did the, the damage not the people at Tuskegee per se, mm-hmm. they were involved, of course, um, but some, but in a lot of ways they didn't really understand and know what was going on. So mm. um, we, we really want to rename that, but that, those are things um, that have kept us from really interacting well with health and healing, because in order to do health and healing, you do have to have practitioners to help assist you. But Absolutely. It really helps if because you know your body. We know our bodies better than our practitioners. Yes, we do. We really have to be partners with them in really health, health and healing. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So yeah. what do you see as the as the biggest barrier these days to advocacy? What is the opportunity? 
So the advocacy really comes from uh, having a voice mm-hmm. and really, you know, really, really becoming knowledgeable, having a voice, but also having the practitioner, uh, practitioner that you're working with listen to you. Um, that's that's been a barrier for many health practitioners. Sometimes uh, gender could be a barrier if it's a male talking to a mm-hmm. woman. They might not listen to what she has to say uh, based on their own, you know, uh, sexism Absolutely. issues. Or if they're of another race, they may not listen to certain uh, uh, persons of another race or ethnicity. Uh, there's some studies that show, uh, you know, uh, practitioners may not listen to women, um, uh, Latino women, mm-hmm. for example, around uh, child care issues. So those barriers really hurt. So we really have to really encourage people to pick practitioners that listen mm-hmm. and because it can affect your, your health outcome. Absolutely. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a recent example of uh, someone like Serena Williams, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the um, tennis player, Absolutely. nationally known, very rich, right? But she went into the hospital uh, with her pregnancy she had a history of, of pulmonary embolism, right? So she knew the symptoms. She told the symptoms to the doctor and the doctor wasn't listening. And so she really had to kind of advocate for herself. She had to bring another doctor in, a female doctor. The first doctor was male. She brought her female doctor in and, and, and was able to get some um, uh, work done quickly to really assist with those complications that could have killed her and the baby. Yes. And we know that happens. Uh, maternal risk for black women and Latino women are much more increased than white women in uh, childbirth. So really making sure we pick the right practitioners who listen, advocate for ourselves, come in. There are tips really on how we should be talking to our practitioners. We should come in with questions. Yes. Should not just be a one-sided conversation. We need to be prepared when we go to meet with our doctors. Prepared and partners in partnership with your healthcare um, provider. Awesome. uh, Yeah. How Uh, how much does... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, how much does bias come into play when we are interfacing um, with doctors in the healthcare system, as particularly if we are on dimensions of difference and perhaps if that um, physician is, is, has unconscious biases, how could those right. play into the care that we receive? And what do we yeah, need to do finding, about that? Right. We're finding that that's a major issue. So that example, you know, Serena Williams is rich, obviously. So she has access to very good health care. But her practitioner, based on probably just her looks, I don't know if they didn't know that she was Venus, uh, you know, the famous tennis player, Mm -hmm. but just a black female in the bed or or a woman. Um, We know that those biases have a major impact on uh, outcomes. And that's maternal mortality is one example. Others are heart disease. Um, So most of the clinical trials that have been done have been done in white men. So we really don't really, we're just now understanding that heart disease is a major issue even in in women. Mm. Uh, For the longest time, the studies were only done in men. Amazing. So that's why you now see the Heart Association, American Heart Association, having the Go Red campaign. Yes, really emphasize that heart disease is the number one killer in women. And so we have to be able to recognize 
those symptoms. Um, but there are stories of women who go into the ER and the doctor might, you know, dismiss her chest pain mm. or her symptoms uh, as a serious uh, disease. So both on the provider side, we have to do more um, training to really uh, decrease that implicit bias. Mm-hmm. And also on the uh, patient side, really, for them to understand that these symptoms could be something serious and they have to advocate for themselves as well. So we're trying to work on both sides to really decrease those uh, uh, issues. But they are real. Yes, they are real. I can tell you that, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, a parent who is, um, she just celebrated her 70th birthday. I am, uh, mm-hmm. I am very interested and very invested in the conversations that she has with her physician. And I try to be present or at least get a debrief from her after each visit because I want to understand right. and be able to help her think critically about what she has learned and what the instructions are. And also, you know, the reality is we go to so many different doctors. We'll have our primary care physician and then we'll have our specialist that we go to and who's who's cross referencing and who's watching and who's paying attention to the prescriptions and and all of that. And and of course, you know, because we bring our whole selves to work. We don't get to leave any part of ourselves at the door when we come to work. Of course, when I was coming, when I was being raised professionally, we were told you leave it at the door. But that really isn't a realistic expectation of people. We bring everything to work. And so when we come and we show up at work, whether it is a family member or whether it's us personally, we we want to be sound in our physical well-being and we want to know. Right. And, and Mildred, what you said about, about accompanying persons, because sometimes uh, the person who's a patient might be fearful. Mm-hmm. Suppose the diagnosis is cancer. That's scary. Yes. Right. So having someone go with them uh, to really sort of understand and back up what the physician has said or ask questions for them, be an advocate for them is helpful. Um, really understanding what's on the chart mm-hmm. and what the tests really mean. So uh, I remember giving a a talk one time, Mildred, to a group of uh, um, persons at my church. I was doing a diabetes uh, education session with them. American Heart Association had a faith-based curriculum. 30 uh, um, church members in the room all had diabetes. I said, well, what is your A1C level? All 30 in the room. Nobody knew in the room knew what their A1C level was. Mm -hmm. This was a church in Montgomery. And so that's important for really managing your diabetes because the A1C level tells you how well you're doing and what you might need to do in order to, you know, um, uh, increase your uh, diabetes management, right? Right. Uh, the A1 level, A1C level should be, um, you know, seven or under. So any levels higher than that tells you you're not managing your, your A1C, your diabetes well. And so I said, okay, your assignment is to go back to your doctor and ask what the A1C level was. All of the people in the room had an A1C level on their chart, but they either, it wasn't explained to them. The doctor didn't tell them what the number was. So those are things we have to really sort of advocate. And nowadays we've got electronic medical records, right? So you can actually go in and see your lab results. Uh, They've got patient portal uh, we do have more access, and mm-hmm. we should take advantage of that access uh, when we can to really understand what the numbers in the labs mean 
and what the numbers, you know, what they represent. Your blood pressure, what the number, the normal uh, range should be. Mm-hmm. What your normal um, kidney function test should be if you're diabetic, because we know kidney disease is a risk factor. And it's often not caught early. True. Um, uh, and, and we get into problems later because we're not paying attention and watching. Mm-hmm. So all those things are, are, are ways and tips, having advocates, uh, looking at your labs and really understanding them and getting more um, information from the provider if they're not uh, giving you enough information. And, you know, so I and, and, and switching around, switching your doctor, right? Yeah. Yes, if absolutely. If necessary. Yeah, because yes. Your point about coordination, it is very complicated. My father had pancreatic cancer mm. and it was so complicated the primary care uh, physician usually is the one who sort of coordinates the care between the specialists. So he had a GI surgeon. He had some other uh, different uh, people that were doing things with him. But unless that care is coordinated, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not in communication between those subspecialists and the primary care physician. Um, it's it's going to be for not. Because um, I remember um, a surgeon report sitting uh, on a desk for three weeks. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And and, yes. and, my, and so if I am a, a young person, let's just say that I am in my 30s and I am an right. African-American female and I am, right. I am trying to understand how to navigate the healthcare system and it has its complexities, what are it some does. basic things that I need to know? How do I approach taking care of this body in partnership with other experts who, who understand these systems of my body and they're right. taking tests? I'm, I may not have grown accustomed to even reviewing my medical record. I don't right. necessarily know what's in there and what those tests mean. What, right. what, is, what should I do? What should I know? Well, the first thing is don't be shy. This is your health and it's important to you. So you have to really kind of speak up. Uh, But one of the first uh, uh, tips is, you know, set an agenda for your health. If you have high blood pressure, what can you do? What can I do to maybe bring that pressure, you know, down? Mm -hmm. Or if I have diabetes, high sugar levels, what can I do to bring those levels down? There's, of course, uh, going to the doctor if they're too high because you want to make sure that you have a, a treatment plan, but there are uh, nutritional um, strategies that you can use. There are exercise, exercise helps. Uh, keeping your weight down to an optimal weight is another approach. So in addition to the doctor who might give you medicines if those other approaches don't work, maybe try those approaches first, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe have a nutritionist uh, in addition to your, your regular primary care provider, or someone who helps you manage your weight and exercise program, a gym, a trainer, those kinds of things might be something you might consider. Um, be honest about your health when you're talking to your providers. Definitely That's key, ask isn't questions. it? Key, <laughs> can, I, yes, can I share a story, so, Pam? Can I share a story, sure, Dr. Sure, Pam? Sure, <laughs> so sure. I can remember, I can remember um, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, 
um, when it was time for people to go for their annual physicals, that would be mm-hmm. when you would get all spruced up, all dressed up, you know, got to look good because I'm going to see the doctor. And wow. we want that good report. Right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Which is fine. We want that good report. But have we been managing and taking care of this body right. to get that good report? Right, right. <laughs> so that's interesting because some people will go on their birthdays, you know, to get the annual. Oh, like, that's good. Uh, uh, even in 30s, usually 40 is the age that women go to get the first mammogram. Mm-hmm. But if you have a family history, you might go earlier, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, getting thinking about it on your birthday as an annual kind of uh, event. There are other preventive strategies around uh, breast cancer, for example. If there is a history in your family, you can go talk to a geneticist mm-hmm. about strategies for managing breast cancer. Some women actually do what we call a preventive mastectomy. Mm. Uh, if, it, if it's really strong in their family and they, they uh, choose to have a mastectomy if that gene is strong, or they might get some gene tests, yes. the BRCA gene that you can check for certain aggressive cancers. So those are all different strategies, but asking questions, being honest. I mean, I think, uh, Mildred, about my husband, when he first got diagnosed with uh, diabetes, you know, the first thing he said, what did he say? I ain't claiming it. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm a Christian and I'm not claiming it. You know what I said to him? You might not be claiming it, but you better take that medicine until we get your A1C level under control. Yeah. From yes. Under control from 11. He started out with an A1C of 11 and now it's down in the six and sevens. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Yes. But the interaction between his faith, he is a man of faith, um, but also um, taking the medicine uh, as needed to manage uh, the uh, disease as well. So, yeah, those those are things. Asking questions. And the last one is really working collaboratively mm-hmm. with a healthcare provider. I, I'm an advocate of not just uh, traditional medicine, but I, I, I believe in naturopathic. Same medicine, which some may not. I, I know it to work. I know it to yes, work in my own yes, personal yes, journey. Yes. So acupuncture and some other um, uh, naturopathic strategies. And, and I, I actually go to talk to my naturopathic doctor about diet and the struggles with diet and exercise and stress management. Absolutely. Which is an important part of our health as well. So all those things should be very important. And we should uh, really pay attention to all of those factors and your spiritual. Absolutely. I believe in spiritual uh, health um, as a part of the healing process. I I never will forget going to hear um, Erwin Johnson, uh, Magic Johnson, Mm -hmm. talk about how he has done so well with his his HIV um, status. And let me tell you, he said at the top of the list for him is his spiritual connection. He believes has really helped him. Um, maintain his uh, his, um, uh, HIV, living successfully with HIV. Of course, he's rich and has access to health care. But he says at the top of his list is getting rid of negative people, really just really cleaning house and really having a good spiritual um, um, connection, which has been just uh, invaluable to him on living with this disease. And he is he's lived. Long time, long right? time, 20 years, indeed. Since he came out publicly uh, and said that he was positive. So I think he's a great example. But he, he, 
He stated that it's not just the access to medicine and taking his pills once a week and, you know, really paying attention to exercise and diet, but that spiritual spiritual connection is very important as well. So that holistic approach is, is important. Absolutely. I've definitely uh, witnessed it in my own life and in right. my own health, you know, as a person right. of faith. Tapping into my my belief system has certainly played the right. most significant role in me in my journey to well being. You know, and yes. and it's a daily it's a daily decision. Honestly, daily thing. Yeah, prayer, meditation, of course, for people of faith. But look, I've been doing yoga lately, oh. once a week. Exciting! I, I really swear by it, Mildred, mm. because that meditation, um, stretching. Um, really is, I think, helpful for really managing. I have arthritis, so for managing my arthritis, but really just kind of calming my mind as well, um, I think it's beneficial. Absolutely. And the heart-mind, the mind-body yes. uh, connection yes. um, is, is so real. And, yes. and, of course, in work environments, when we step into environments that um, perhaps are not um, – are not as friendly or are not as um, welcoming or as inclusive. Um, right. There's a big discussion happening right now. In fact, the book that I am reading is Menda Hart's book, which talks about healing from racial trauma in the work environment. Right. And yes. that healing, so I really appreciate her for um, taking the conversation to that place. And this morning I was listening to the chapter where she was talking about maintenance and maintaining mm. your healing. Yes, you've been through mm -hmm. things, but you have your mm -hmm. toolkit that you use. Yeah. You know, we develop right. our personal tool toolkit to help right. us uh, strengthen ourselves. And I am mm -hmm. definitely going to be looking at yoga as a um, as an as an option to uh, help me in my uh, maintenance um, of a healthy a healthy body. Yeah, mm -hmm. regular uh, uh, also regular massage. Yes, indeed. I would advocate for or spa days. You know where you can really sort of get away. Some people like retreats mm -hmm. uh, to get away from it all because because stress really is a big um, uh, uh, really a way to really. Uh, decrease our health and wellness. Mm -hmm. So we really do have to pay attention to, the, to that. I love the, the trauma you visit. I mean, some people say we need therapists. Some people oh, need yes. therapists. Absolutely. And, uh, the thought, you know, there was a time when black people did, never did therapy, right? Mm -hmm. I ain't crazy. Right. That was no, always the case. It, was, yeah, it would was take the, you right to crazy. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But all of us probably have had some kind of trauma I mean, many people have had childhood traumas that yes. really um, play out in our health in adulthood. Absolutely. We call them adverse childhood experiences, which really play negatively into health um, later in, in uh, adulthood. So um, it's extremely important. Extremely important. Mental health is extremely important to our physical health as well. So really thinking about the need for um, um it could be informal through your faith leader or counselors, uh, experience uh, counselors or therapists or, uh, if needed, a psychiatrist as mm -hmm. well for the mental health being, well-being. So knowing what we know now, what is our call to action, Dr. Pam? Our call to action is really to be our own best advocates for our health, to really speak up for our health, to get help. Uh, with our health when we need it, 
uh, with our practitioners, a wide range of practitioners, not just doctors, but others who might help us with our mental health, physical health, and really paying attention to those things that could um, really deter us from healing, like stress Mm -hmm. management and uh, things like that. So uh, really being our own best advocate and working with our practitioners um, collaboratively, I think is uh, the way to health and wellness. That's amazing. And I just want to put a plug again. I want to re-elevate what you said about paying attention to your your numbers, your mm-hmm. reports, the, the testing that is done, being aware of what mm-hmm. those tests mean and, mm-hmm. and what they are saying about how you're doing in terms right. of your well-being. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It Most is definitely. such a pleasure. The last things I wanted to say is, you know, doctors are human. Mm-hmm. Practitioners are human. They make mistakes. The whole uh, area of medical errors is huge. <laughs> and I've, I've actually had doctors make mistakes sometimes on my dosages. So I, you know, kind of make an idea. Uh, point to put down what my doses should be. You should know the medications that you're on, write them down on a list um, and um, really keep up with that and help um, with the, with the care because mistakes are sometimes made, but we are our own best advocates. So let's start acting like it. Absolutely. We need these bodies to live this life. And so That's we want right. to be well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Dr. Pam, it has been such a pleasure to connect with you. And I want to thank you um, on behalf of the audience who is listening um, for educating us today about advocating for our own health and wellness and uh, some of the steps that we can take to be more prepared when we are interfacing with our physicians. Thank you so much. How can people learn more about your work and how can people contact you and, and get more information on the work that you do? Sure, they can email me at pfoster at ua.edu, and I'd be glad to continue this conversation. Amazing. Thank you, Dr. Pam. It's such a pleasure to connect. Yes, have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining. Remember to like and subscribe, and join us next week for another episode of People Plus Culture.